Probably the two most intense draft weekends of the fantasy baseball year coming up. So we'll talk about that and much more next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way. Because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, March the 25th. It's show number 12 of the 2016 Fantasy Baseball season. And happy Easter to those of you who observe. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Friday show for you. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols looking at Andre Ethier's leg injury, the sterling spring of Vincent Velasquez and more, and from the American League with Jock Thompson looking at the ravaged Angels pitching staff, the sensational spring of Travis Shaw, and a lot more. We'll also have our commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Minor League Minute, analyst Rob Gordon reports on Dodgers right-handed pitching prospect Zach Lee. In our playing time commentary, Ryan Bloomfield looks at the first base job in Houston and what happens to the Giants' rotation if Matt Kane isn't ready. In our frequent flyers commentary, Alex Becky looks at Baltimore second baseman Jonathan Scope and Arizona starting pitcher Robbie Ray. And in Master Notes, I'll be talking about some last thoughts from the Tout Wars weekend. It's another Big Friday show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Will the Easter Bunny give us a $1 sleeper? We gotta talk some baseball. And as always, in the first inning of this Friday edition, our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with the American League. And leading off, it's the National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. Always good to be here. Getting close to opening day. It sure is uh, barely a week away. We open with a serious injury, however, in the Dodgers camp. Outfielder Andre Ethier, who is looking like he was going to get some playing time, fouled a ball off his right shin last Friday, and the club says now he's got a broken leg. He's going to miss uh, 8 to 10 weeks. Some people say it could be half a season. BaseballHQ.com covered this in playing time today a couple of days ago. We had Ethier down for substantial playing time, so this is a fairly significant change. What happens in the outfield for the Dodgers? Yeah, it really is a fairly significant change. It even could be uh, longer, as we said, than 8 to 10. Uh, I noticed we're saying 10 to 14. Uh, so really could miss a lot of time. Uh, certainly the guy that, that most immediately would be likely to benefit is Carl Crawford. Uh, the Dodgers outfield was crowded anyway, so Crawford could step in. But, you know, Crawford has not, did not play very well a year ago. He's getting older at age 34. His uh, contact rate was a, was a career low last year at 77%. I think the guy to look at really in that, uh, in that situation is Scott Van Slyke. Uh, Van Slyke's a guy that really could, uh, at this point, is not being projected for additional time, but could really take advantage of that situation if he could find some playing time. Uh, Van Slyke's got some nice power, uh, which we've, we've always seen. He hasn't always hit well against right-handed pitching, but is showing some gains against right-handers. So, if you could get some regular playing time, you're looking at a guy that uh, in 2014, 212 at-bats, had 11 home runs, 297 batting average. So uh, some real possibilities there. And at 29 years old, maybe in a, a situation where he could suddenly blossom. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought he was going to be uh, kind of figured for Ethier's platoon mate anyway. So the opportunity here is if Crawford crashes and burns through injury or because of that declining contact rate you mentioned, we have... Uh, Van Slyke still projected only for about mid-200 at-bats, 245, 250, something like that, with 10 home runs, a handful of stolen bases, and a 255 batting average. Now, the trick is, Nick, don't you think, that 
if Van Slyke is going to get more playing time, it's going to be against right-handed pitching, and that's uh, been his bugaboo. That's right, and that's going to be the uh, you know that's that's going to be the uh, the problem. Uh, a two forty two career batting average against right-handers, which is not certainly not bad, but uh, if he could get that up ten points, uh, fifteen points, and start hitting a little bit better against right-handers, then uh, certainly might work himself into considerably more playing time. Meanwhile, we have projected Carl Crawford for seven homers and thirteen bags. Not too bad, uh, two sixty six batting average, so not that much better than Van Slyke in about three hundred at bats, and that could all change, of course, with as we said with uh, Crawford's contact problems and uh, injury history. The potential is there for Van Slyke to really pick up some time. That would be good. Also, in the playing time today, we had an item about Washington outfielder Michael Taylor basically saying that he's just bashed his way into the primary job as the center fielder for the Nationals. Of course, Bryce Harper is a fixture in right field, so what's this going to mean for Ben Revere and Jason Wirth? Well, you know, it depends on what you, on what you look at. I mean, uh, some some say, say Michael Taylor is going to be in the lineup. Uh, some say that uh, he may be on the bench just playing a lot. He certainly has had a tremendous spring. Four home runs, 13 RBIs, 486 batting average, and three stolen bases at the time that we're recording. So he's certainly showing that that, that prospect promise that we've always said he had. Um, if Michael Taylor wound up being the starting center fielder, what would happen is that Ben Revere would and Jason Worth would probably wind up as a uh, as a platoon in left field, uh, and wouldn't that not wouldn't necessarily be all bad? I mean, Revere had a uh, uh, a very typical performance a year ago a lot of steals a 291 expected batting average but no power uh jason worth certainly is fading a bit uh and so having michael taylor available and playing full time certainly might not hurt anything in the washington lineup could hurt you in a uh, in a rotisserie lineup, however, because the, uh, we're projecting only a two thirty two batting average. If you happen to be in an on-base league or like to use on-base as a way to calculate whether you want a guy under three hundred for an on-base percentage for Michael Taylor, he's always had contact trouble uh, the last two years, uh, 56% in a short run in 2014, got that up, and I use the word advisedly, to 67% last year, but uh, those expected batting averages are under two thirty, and it, it doesn't seem like... Like Michael Taylor is going to be a batting average contributor, which has so many other ramifications, unless he starts putting the bat on the ball a little more consistently. Yeah, very definitely. I mean, in the spring, if, if, that's the thing to look at in the spring to see what's happening in spite of that good batting average. And what we've got is nine strikeouts in 37 at-bats and only two walks. So the contact rate has not improved this spring. He's certainly been hitting the ball well. He's been stinging the ball. But uh, the contact problems are still there. And if he's... Uh, if he's striking out a fourth of the time, that's only a 75% contact rate, better than what he's shown in the past, but still not going to lead to a high batting average. Yeah, I was going to say 75% for him looks like, uh, you know, kind of a, a world-class performance, but of course at spring training it's a little easier to make contact when sometimes you're facing college pitchers or, you know, double-A pitchers and that kind of thing. I was also looking at Worth and Revere. Don't you think if you put them together you have a pretty good outfielder? Lots of speed, lots of power, but only one in each case. That's right. Yeah, I mean, they, they do certainly do look, look very good as a single outfielder, but uh, you're going to get one in each game if they're platooning. Nick, as we head toward drafts, every owner out there is looking for pitching breakouts. BaseballHQ.com columnist Stephen Nickrand has a few intriguing names this week in his starting pitcher buyer's guide column, the Spring Rotation Wrap-Up. And one of those names, Miami left-hander Adam Conley. You know, Adam Conley is a guy that uh, certainly has not drawn much uh, much attention in drafts, an ADP of around, around 400. Uh, but he's really drawn some raves from scouts this spring. 
Um, at this point, he hasn't been stretched out in Miami, so uh, you don't know whether he would really crack the rotation and wind up being uh, pitching more than four or five innings uh, early on. But uh, Adam Connolly is showing some very nice numbers this spring. Uh, it, um, last September, Connolly had a 9.5 DOM, 2.9 control, 44% ground ball rate. Uh, that's certainly very, very good and the kind of thing that you would like to see in a, in a, in a young pitcher. Uh, Connolly's 26 years old, a left-hander, uh, could, uh, could have some real value if you can pick him up in the end game. Yeah, but it, as you said, it's uh, what, he, what has he got? Four and two-thirds innings in two starts is not a lot to base. I mean, you like to, to see the 193 earned run average, 857 whip, but uh, boy, oh boy, 4.2 innings, and we're going to start making decisions. I don't know, Nick. Yeah, I know. You know it's one of those things you've got to be real careful about. And if you look back to last year, um, Conley threw some, some uh, PQS Dom outings, some nice ones toward the end of the season, but also had some disasters earlier on. So may turn out to be one of those pitchers who's really good one day and really bad the next, and that's something, of course, too, that can really kill you in a fantasy league, so something to keep an eye on. Seems to me like the kind of guy you might want to grab in reserve just to see which way the wind is blowing, and I think you'd probably have a pretty good shot at getting him. I believe Stephen reported he's being drafted in the 400s as an average draft position, so it's not like there's a huge market for Adam Conley just yet. Right, so he might be a good, a good bench guy to pick up in a draft, but certainly I would not count on him as one of my, as one of my starters in a, in a fantasy rotation. Stephen Nickrand in that same column also writes about Vincent Velasquez has been the star in the Phillies camp and his stock is really rising. Might be uh, time to grab him if you can because he's starting to catch people's attention. Yeah, he's starting to catch attention. And this guy, as we said, has three three legitimate off-speed pitches, uh, strikeout pitches, mid-90s uh, fastball. Uh, in, the, in 14 innings in the spring, 16 strikeouts, only four walks. Uh, this is a guy that really could, I think, break out this current season. So if he's available, he's a guy that I think I would sure stash. I noticed uh, that when he was pitching for Houston last year, he really showed some great swing and miss ability. He had a 11% swinging strike rate, which is good, and a 9.4 dominance rate, 9.4 strikeouts per nine. And in the second half, those numbers were actually even a little bit better. So uh, Vincent Velasquez is has trends, and they're all heading in the right direction. Yeah, very definitely. I really like Vincent Velasquez as we as we get ready to start the season here. Our projection at Baseball HQ, if you're keeping score, is for a 10.4 dominance rate this year. Boy, that's something. A 3.1 command ratio of strikeouts to walks. And uh, he's only projected for 131 innings, which is kind of disappointing and could grow if he uh, performs well. But even at 131 innings, Nick, 151 projected strikeouts. Yes, and a, and a 107 BPV. So we're talking about an elite pitcher here that you may be able to get at a bargain rate uh, currently. Projected ERA of 364, projected whip of 120. So, uh, boy, oh boy, Vincent Velasquez looks like he could be uh, something really useful. Finally, uh, Stephen Nickrand in his column says to be on the lookout for Tyler Lyons, a left-handed starter in St. Louis. He's kind of on the outside looking in right now as far as the rotation is concerned, but there could be some hidden opportunities here given the health history of Jaime Garcia. Yeah, uh, yeah Tyler Lyons is sort of lurking outside the rotation, and uh, uh, at this point it doesn't look like he'll get a chance, but... You know, St. Louis is not uh, is not known for a team to have rotation luck and keep five guys in there all year. And uh, Jaime Garcia, of course, is the kind of guy that uh, that uh, a wonderful pitcher, but uh, also a wonderful uh, uh, resident of the DL. And uh, uh, you know, I, I love him. I've had him on my team before, but I never count on him from week to week because I don't know when he's going to get hurt next. So uh, certainly, Lions would have a have an opportunity to step in. Um, Lyons is, is looking very good this spring. Lyons is a, uh, a left-hander, 28-year-old left-hander. We have him as a grade-A Lima pick, uh, projected at a 3.88 ERA, 
55 strikeouts in 65 innings. Uh, so uh, the guy that could be a very solid kind of um, kind of contributor and being ignored in a lot of drafts. In 2015, he looked like a decent mid-rotation starter, a 9.0 dom rate, which is actually a little higher than we're projecting for this year. Only 2.3 walks per nine innings, which means a, a, a command ratio around four, which is really good, 118 base performance value. Now, 39% ground ball rate is nothing to write home about. No, that's true. That ground ball rate certainly is something we'd like to see a bit higher, uh, and that could be the bugaboo that prevents him from, uh, from really breaking out beyond a mid-rotation kind of guy. We're expecting a bit higher this year at 42%, so uh, Tyler Lyons, going to be a swingman to start the year in St. Louis, might be a decent guy to just latch onto because you can and uh, stash him on reserve, or if you're in a National League-only league, of course, you're going to need a couple of those uh, swingman, middle reliever type guys. Uh, there's lots of opportunity here for Tyler Lyons. And that brings us to our last item. We've been talking about Jaime Garcia and his health problems. Ray Murphy's speculator column is called, Looking for the Next Jaime Garcia. And when I read the headline, I thought, why are we looking for the next Jaime Garcia? It's like, you know, uh, looking for the next guy who's going to get hurt and kill your team. Uh, but in fact, what Ray was talking about was that Jaime Garcia threw only 130 innings last year after 99 combined innings the two years previous. So what he's looking for in the speculator column is pitchers who had serious injury histories who come back and do pretty well. And he came up with three interesting names uh, starting in the National League with Homer Bailey. I, you know, let's let me back up and talk about Jaime Garcia for a minute. You got to remember also that on those 130 innings that he actually got last year out of Jaime Garcia, 2.30 ERA. I mean, that's fairly amazing. And and so certainly you you want to look at these guys who have high skills but an injury history because you might get something out of them. I really like this column of Rays and, and would recommend that people take a look at it. But Homer Bailey certainly is one is one to look at. I Homer Bailey will not be back to start the year. Uh, had a uh, had TGS surgery in May of 2015, so sometime this summer uh, is where we would uh, we would uh, expect to see Homer Bailey return. And uh, Homer Bailey was showing strong uh, uh, stri strikeout to walk ratios, 3.0 command from 2011 to 2014, and that kind of thing could help him get back on track very quickly. Uh, velocity could be really important. His um, his pre-surgery velocity a year ago was 94.2 on the fastball. And if, if he starts to show that kind of velocity and the kind of command he used to have, he could be useful in a fantasy rotation very, very fast. Yeah, Ray makes an interesting point about Homer Bailey coming back from Tommy John, and that is a guy who, who has this kind of command in the first place. It usually improves a little when you have Tommy John because, of course, it stabilizes the elbow joint. And so... It, it may be, although it's not till summertime that he'll be back, he may have a faster track to becoming a useful contributor because he has this past history of, of solid command and great velocity. Right, very definitely. That, that kind of thing could certainly help get him back on track much more quickly. A couple of other names in the column, Matt Cain and Casey Kelly. Kelly's another Tommy John rehabber. Matt Cain, of course, was a terrific pitcher, then fell off a, a cliff for health. So a couple more names to be looking at. Uh, Nick, thanks very much for helping us out. We'll talk to you again uh, next Friday. We're right in the heart of draft season. Thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and covers the National League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's go over to the American League and BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. Sup, PD. How is uh, New York City and Tout Wars? 
Tout Wars was really good. It was interesting. I've got a couple of stories about it at BaseballHQ.com. I believe they're both free. If anybody wants to read about the uh, my own actual draft, there's a story up there that I wrote shortly after the draft. And then this week's Master Notes, which will be coming up a little later in the show, goes into some more... Uh, offbeat sort of things that happened during the larger draft, including all the drafts that went on. It was a lot of fun. It always is. They're good people, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, Jock, uh, you cover the uh, Angels as part of your American League West coverage of playing time tomorrow, and uh, recently you went into some detail about the Angels pitching staff, and really, it's in really bad shape. Yeah, it really is. It's uh, it's hard to remember a season that... Uh where the Angels weren't depending at least somewhat on Jared Weaver and uh, C.J. Wilson to front their staff. And both of these guys are in the uh, the back ends of five-year contracts. But uh, right now, Wilson is going to be on the DL. He had elbow surgery during the offseason, and now he has shoulder problems, and he hasn't thrown to live hitting, and he's he's now tinkering with his delivery to maybe hopefully make the pain go away. I don't know. But uh, Weaver hasn't done much better. Um, he's been pretty much blasted in the in the uh, few outings that he's had. He's only had two starts in the Cactus League, and uh, um, he's got one more, I think, coming up either today or this weekend. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he is. He's still sitting in that uh, low 80s velocity that didn't help him much last year, and uh, if he has another outing like he had last time, you wonder whether he's going to start on the DL for the Angels this year. Well, let's assume that neither of them starts uh, in the uh – in the regular season on the active roster. So what do the angels do to fill their two slots in the, in the pitching rotation? Well, they have some depth and by depth, I mean guys who can take the ball, uh, and go six innings. Uh, Matt Shoemaker has been up and down in his major league career. Obviously he had the great rookie year. Um, but he, he doesn't have a ground ball tilt. He, he struggled hanging his split finger fastball, which, which can be very, very good, um, but he had trouble with it last year. Uh, he gave up a lot of home runs, I think uh, 1.6 uh, home runs per nine innings. And he's doing the same thing in uh, in spring training. It's it's really tough to, to gauge fly ball pitchers in Arizona in the spring. Uh, Shoemaker uh, pitched the other day. I watched him. He pitched six innings. And other than the home runs he gave up, he was pretty good. He struck out four. Uh, he didn't walk. He, he only walked one one hitter. But he gave up three home runs. and uh, and, and that's a problem. Um, and he's he's going to be the first guy in. Nick Tropiano has a, has a, a similar profile as Shoemaker, though he doesn't give up quite as many home runs, and he's struck out a few more hitters in the minor leagues. I kind of like Tropiano as a flyer. Um, both flyball pitchers pitching in Angel Stadium, um, both not doing particularly well now in the Cactus League. Of course, we should say that Garrett Richards, Andrew Heaney, and Hector Santiago are going to be starting the year in the rotation. Are you at all confident about that threesome? Richards is obviously either a, a number two, or if he regains the form he had a couple of years ago, he's a, he's an ace. Um, I'm confident in him. Heaney is, to me, a, a, a number three at best, and I don't think he's there yet. I think he's a number four or five. And Santiago, um, who knows what you get? He was an all-star at the first half of last year, and he pretty much stunk up the joint in the second half. Um, he's outpitched his peripherals for a long, long time. He's capable. Let's call him a number four. So there's a lot between Richards and Heaney that, uh, that, that uh, I'm not particularly certain about. Now, Tyler Skaggs was an endgame or reserve pick in the Tout Wars drafts. Uh, what are his chances of making the Angels rotation this year? And if he does, what are the chances he does something good with the opportunity? 
Well, Skaggs had his first outing yesterday, and I watched it, and he actually looked pretty good. He only gave up uh, one hit. Uh, it was a bloop. Uh, it scored an unearned run because of a two-base throwing error uh, on, on, on the Angels' defense. Um, he struck out a couple of hitters. He's going to start on the DL. They're probably going to keep holding back and send him down to the minors and let him get some stamina, let him work his way back into shape. Um, but if he... If yes, if what he showed yesterday is the real thing, I fully expect him to be up by the end of April, uh, early May. The Angels' pitching uh, pitching problems are that great. He he is similar to Heaney. I think he's a little bit better. He he has the the upside of a of a strong number three, um, but uh, also maybe the floor of a of a number four, number five. I I, I think he's valuable fantasy wise. I'm not sure how valuable he's going to be. Earlier in the show, I talked with uh, Nick Nichols in the National League News about Ray Murphy's speculator column, searching for the next Jaime Garcia, about pitchers coming back strong from uh, serious injuries. Ray hit on an interesting name in the American League, I thought, in Ivan Nova of the Yankees. Right now, when I look at the Yankees' situation, it doesn't look like Nova has a clear path to a rotation spot, but I thought Ray made some interesting points, and Nova has shown some skills in the past. What do you think? Yeah, you go back and look at that 2013 uh, when he threw uh, 139 innings. He won nine games, a 3.10 ERA and a 3.45 X ERA. He did it on the strength of a strong ground ball pitch. He still has that going for him. He had Tommy John surgery early in in 2014, and he was slow recovering from that in in 2015. He um, he still has the ground ball pitch. Uh, did not have the command. Um, his uh, uh, ERA was 5.07 uh, over 94 innings. Sometimes it takes these guys a couple years coming off of TJS to uh, to regain uh, whatever they had before. Um, Nova struck out uh, seven and a half hitters per nine innings during his best years. If he can recover that command this year, and he's had a pretty decent spring, um, I actually see him uh, pitching some good innings for the Yankees. If you look up and down that Yankee rotation, I think pretty much their uh, their entire uh, uh, rotation last year was on the DL at one point in time or another. You had Sabathia, you had Ivaldi, uh, Tanaka, um, Pineda. Um, I, he's going to get a chance to throw some innings, so um, it'll be interesting to see. Sabathia's looked terrible in spring so far this year. I can't even imagine. I've been reading that he might actually end up starting the season as a swingman or in some kind of bullpen role because he's been so terrible. I, I think Pineda could be a, a kind of a breakout candidate, but yeah, there's a lot of question marks there. Now, Nova's last really terrific season, probably you're looking back to, what, about uh, 2013 before the Tommy John surgery, and even in in those times, he was low 90s, uh, he wasn't really a strikeout pitcher per se. Uh, is there really that much to be enthusiastic about? Well, if you look at the at 2012 and 2013, he struck out in those years, respectively, he struck out 8.1 hitters per nine innings and then 7.5 in the next year. He had Tommy John surgery in 2014. So really, if you look at it in that context, um, yeah, I, I, I think there's a chance. He's only 29 years old. He still has the ground ball pitch. Um, he was actually showing some pretty good skills before the, uh, the bad timing of the Tommy John surgery. So again, I wouldn't overpay for him, but if you're looking at $1 pitchers who could, uh, who, who certainly have performed well in the past and, uh, and, and are comeback injury candidates, I, I think he's a name you have to include in that. Those two years were marked by some pretty unfortunate, uh, 
outcomes, especially 2012 with that plus uh, five ERA you mentioned, but his expected ERA that year was only uh, under four. Still not great, but uh, certainly not horrendous either. Uh, Ivan Nova makes an interesting guy, I think maybe to gamble on, but I don't know that I'd be real enthusiastic about putting him in my in my starting rotation as any kind of uh, linchpin. Yeah, pretty much my take as well. Um, he's a flyer. He's one of the guys that uh, that you pick up late, you pick up for a buck, and you hope for a big upside surprise. Stephen Nickrand's uh, spring hitter wrap-up in his Buyer's Guide column mentioned Boston's Travis Shaw, who didn't even project as a starter going into spring training, but suddenly he's the talk of their camp. He's having a great spring. Does this mean he has a chance to get some playing time in the Red Sox lineup? What's up with Travis Shaw? Well, the interesting thing, and, and some fantasy owners may not realize this, he actually played eight games at third base for uh, Boston last year. And he has over 100 games in the minors at third base. I'm not sure what kind of a defender he is, but uh, now Boston is talking about having him challenge Pablo Sandoval for that third base job. Now, if Pablo Sandoval is healthy, I'm not sure that's serious. But the problem with Sandoval is he's woefully out of shape, and we're not even done spring training, and he's already going for an MRI on his back, which which isn't particularly positive news. And in the meantime, you got Shaw, who's just... Um, hitting the, the heck out of the ball. I think he was 18 for his first 41. Um, last year, he hit 13 homers and 226 at-bats in his MLB debut. He's been a surprise, and, and I'm looking at his power metrics right now. This is an interesting guy. He's a left-handed bat, uh, um, so he'll, he'll play well against right-handed hitters, or at least he should. Um, again, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't spend a lot of money on him because we're unsure about his role, and a lot's going to depend on Sandoval. But uh, for, a, for a dollar and, and the fact that he, he's, he's going to uh, be eligible at, uh, at both first base and third base probably, uh, yeah, what the heck? Yeah, he's the kind of guy, especially in deep leagues, I think you really do need to be looking at, uh, especially because of that position flexibility you mentioned. Uh, boy, I, I, Jock, I don't know about Pablo Sandoval. It's a, it's a big contract, and sometimes ball clubs make decisions based on who's making the most money, but doesn't it seem like Sandoval could be eating his way out of the big leagues? Yeah, and it's it's kind of amazing. It's the front end of that contract. I forget whether it's four years or five years, but uh you look at the way he came into camp, and he and he's done it all his life. Uh, he just really doesn't seem to care that much, and I'm I'm pretty sure Boston isn't that happy with it either. Uh, on the other hand, he he still makes uh, probably above average contact uh, if he can stay healthy and in the lineup. You know, I mean, the, the the Boston's almost obligated to play him, but I'll tell you what, going for an MRI on your MRI on your back uh, a week and a half before spring training ends, uh, that's not a real good sign. It sure isn't. It's a it's a very worrisome sign, in fact, uh, and I, that for that reason, I think Travis Shaw probably makes a better pick than uh, Sandoval himself does. Uh, finally, Mike Shears at BaseballHQ.com, he writes a playing time tomorrow column about the American League Central Division, and he noticed a lot of buzz going on about the Royals' right-hander Chen Ming Wong, and Jock, a, a little background for me personally with, with Chen Ming Wong, I remember back when he first came into baseball, I was listening to a game, a uh, Yankees game, while I was mowing my lawn, and uh, the announcers were talking about how excited they would be to see this uh, new um, Taiwanese pitcher come into the Yankees rotation, and I thought, well, I'll take a chance on him. I checked with Baseball HQ. They were modestly optimistic about him, and he was actually pretty good those first couple of years. 
not so much lately. But now here he comes back from injury. He hasn't pitched in quite a while. Couple of last couple of years, he wasn't in the big leagues, and here he is now, former ground baller with a subpar fastball and an injury history, and he's firing fastballs in the mid nineties. What is the chance that the new velocity is for real and playable? Well, it's interesting that your 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 uh, anecdote about Wong because. If you go back, his best years were back in 2006 and 2007. I had to check back with this. He actually won 19 games two consecutive years for the Yankees. And he did it on the strength of a, of, a, of an outstanding ground ball uh, near 60% and, and very, very good uh, control back then, under, under three walks per nine. Um, after that, uh, it, uh, his, his control began to fall apart, and he's never struck out that many hitters. He was only striking out three, four, five hitters a game during his, during his best seasons. Um, now, uh, he hasn't pitched in the majors since 2013, and he, he didn't pitch very good that year. He only had six games and he, an ERA over seven. Um, he's 36 years old, so I'm a little, I'm a little suspect about this, uh, this velocity increase and how long, how durable it might be. Um, and when you look at his profile way back when and what he's doing right now, he's having a good spring. Um, I think um, uh, he's, he's struck out uh, eight hitters in 10 innings. Uh, he's only given up maybe three, four runs. Um, and, and the back of that Royals rotation is, is pretty suspect. A uh, uh, lot of uh, oft-injured names, Chris, Chris Medlin, uh, Kyle Zimmer, uh, Danny Duffy and Chris Young uh, are, are are obviously suspect. Dylan G hasn't had a good spring. Okay, maybe as a flyer again, but at 36 years old and three years out of the majors, uh, it's it's kind of tough to get too excited about Chin Ming Wong. You know, the thing I, I remember also writing uh, an analysis of Wong's performance back when he was doing well in the major leagues, and uh, the, the knock on him, as you mentioned, was that he didn't strike out enough hitters. And and what I found out was he only struck out hitters when he needed to. He relied on that ground ball out package a lot more than than trying to get strikeouts. And he seemed to have the philosophy or the strategy of saving his wear and tear on himself, not going for strikeout after strikeout, and saving the strikeout pitch for when he really needed it with runners in scoring position in tough situations. And it actually seemed to be working. His strand rates were uh, actually a little high, which uh, indicates that he wasn't giving up a, a lot of uh, runs at, at crucial times. And, of course, his home run pr- rate was off the charts low because he was grounding out 60% of his outs. So, you know, Chen Ming Wang had a lot going on. I guess the question is, can he recapture past glory at this advanced age? And I think the underlying question is, how is it that he's back pitching at 95 miles an hour? Yeah, no kidding. Um, um, I, I'm looking at his velocity now, and uh, back in his in his best years, he was throwing 92, 93. Um, it, he he goes down into the low 90s and the, and the high 80s, and he disappears for two, three years, and now he's back throwing 95. Um, it's it's kind of a mystery. It's uh, it's almost you go back to the old adage: if it's too good to be true, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, um, I think he has an out in his Kansas City contract that if he's not in the majors by X number of uh, by an, by X date that uh, that they're going to release him, or maybe he has an agreement to that regard. I I can't see Kansas City putting him in the rotation um, without um, having him spend a, a a few weeks in the minors at least to see how he does. It seems unlikely to me too as well, but. 
is there a chance here that maybe this is a case of an older player who just takes a couple of years off and allows his body to recover fully? You know, a lot of times what we what we learn or what we hear about is all athletes, especially pro athletes who are making money off their bodies, tend to come back from injury too quickly and, and never give themselves a chance to fully recover. And is it possible that uh, Wong went to his doctor or went to his uh, uh, therapist or whoever he works with in this, in this area, and the guy said, look, you could come back in a couple of years, but you're going to have to give yourself that much time to just get over all this stuff and maybe do some training to get his body ready. Is that even a possibility, do you think? I mean, I'm speaking as a as a uh, an amateur doctor here. I I would think that there's something something to be said in uh, in uh, in what you've just said there. Uh, it, there's there's something valid about it. Uh, um, I mean, if 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 you Franklin Gutierrez, who had all those injuries for a long time, spent uh, a lot of time just recovering, and all of a sudden he's he's hitting for for huge power, better power than he hit uh, before the injuries. Um, athletes, uh, uh, are, are like anyone else. Um, and, and physically, if they can't do it, I mean, they really, I think more, more baseball players probably should take a year off to, and, and, uh, and get their body back in shape just to see what the results might be. I, I don't think we have a lot of study, or at least I haven't seen it on that particular phenomenon, but it makes sense to me. According to a story in uh, some of the Kansas City media, he was working with a guy named uh, Ron Wolforth. He's a pitching guru of sorts, and he's kind of like Mike Marshall in that he has a lot of um, unorthodox ideas, very idiosyncratic approach to how to prepare pitchers to train and stuff like that. He runs a place called the Texas Baseball Ranch. Uh, he worked with Scott Casimir, who came back from, I think he was pitching an indie ball, uh, worked with Barry Zito, and Barry Zito had a sh- relatively short-lived comeback and so forth. And maybe this is just a case of this guy found a guy who knows how to help pitchers recover. And by the way, if it works, how much uh, how much business is this Walforth guy going to do? Oh, yeah, tell me about it. Well, the Casimir analogy is interesting. I didn't I didn't realize that it was the same guy who did that because I saw Casimir in his uh, – his uh, limited time with the Angels, and he was awful. What he did uh, to resurrect his career uh, was pretty miraculous. I'm kind of rooting for him, I have to say, and I'm going to be keeping an eye on him. If he makes the club, I've got some fairly poor pitchers uh, on my Tout Wars roster because they're all, you know, endgame type guys. I wonder if a 95-mile-an-hour ground baller is not a bad uh, not a bad idea to have on a roster. Yeah, we all have those pitchers, and, uh, and frankly, after this discussion, I will probably be watching him out of the corner of one of my eyes as well. All right, Jock, thanks a million for talking with us again. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time. We've got uh, the middle of draft season. It's a very exciting time of year for fantasy baseball. Yes, it is. I'm, I'm in the middle of two of them as we speak, and uh, as soon as I get off the phone, my pick is up. All right, then, Jock, thanks. Okay, see you, PD. Jock Thompson is the director of news and analysis at BaseballHQ.com. He's one of three contributors to the Speculator column, and he's the analyst who covers the American League West for playing time tomorrow. Jock's a busy guy. And he finds the time to help us out with American League news here at Baseball HQ Radio. We have our regular Baseball HQ commentaries coming up. But first, this is the time of the show and we usually put in a promo for BaseballHQ.com or for Baseball HQ Radio itself. But instead, I'm going to take two or three minutes here to play one of my favorite songs from my youth, a Creedence Clearwater Revival song called Have You Ever Seen the Rain? Now, I consider CCR to be one of the great underrated bands in American rock and roll history, but even at that, I couldn't decide which version to play, whether it was the Creedence Clearwater Revival original or a terrific cover by Joan Jett, and I couldn't make up my mind which one to play, so I'm going to put them together and play them both. 
From CCR and Joan Jett, this is Have You Ever Seen the Rain on Baseball HQ Radio. Someone told me long ago There's a calm before the storm I know It's been coming for some time When it's over, so they say Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. We have our Baseball HQ Radio commentaries coming up, but first, let me tell you about BaseballHQ.com and why we call it the best fantasy baseball website in the business, especially at this time of year. It's because BaseballHQ.com is ready to keep you ahead of the game, getting you ready for draft, and then staying with you all season long with content across a wide range of great information. Just look at this week. A few examples are Buyer's Guides columns are looking at spring training wrap-ups for hitters, starting pitchers, and relievers. In a research article, a new Baseball HQ HQ.com contributor Eric Floramonte looks at how pitch framing affects the value of starting pitchers. We're all looking for that edge, aren't we? 
And we have two free articles recapping HQ staff members at Tout Wars. In the GM's office, Brent Hershey analyzes his head-to-head auction. And in a rotisserie gaming column, I take a look at my Tout Wars American League auction. During the season, BaseballHQ.com also has daily matchups reports, a daily fantasy dashboard, there's full team coverage, minor league scouting, performance validation in facts and flukes, and full coverage of playing time. And of course, there are the projections and other roster management tools you can use to help you dominate your league and daily fantasy baseball. And it's all only at the website with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners, BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our regular Friday commentaries. Coming up, we have playing time, frequent flyers, and master notes. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And here with a report on Dodgers right-handed pitching prospect Zach Lee is BaseballHQ.com Minor League's analyst Rob Gordon. With a little over a week to go until opening day, the Los Angeles Dodgers still have not settled on who their fifth starter will be while Brett Anderson is on the DL, recovering from back surgery. For a while, it looked like it would be 28-year-old journeyman Mike Bolsinger, but a strained oblique has him on the DL as well. The Dodgers have already reassigned their two top pitching prospects, Julio Urias and Jose De Leon, so for now the battle comes down to Carlos Frias and rookie right-hander Zach Lee. Lee, who was the 28th overall pick in the 2010 draft, was once considered the top prospect in the organization, but his secondary stuff took a step back and in 2014 he struggled at AAA Albuquerque going 7-13 with a 5.38 ERA. Lee was much better in 2015 going 11-6 with a 2.70 ERA and 19 starts for AAA Oklahoma City, where he showed improved control walking just 19 batters and 113 innings pitched. Zach Lee isn't going to blow hitters away, but he does pound the strike zone with a lively low 90s fastball that has good sinking action, an improved changeup, and a fringy slider. For those of you drafting this weekend, Zach Lee makes an excellent endgame target in an NL-only format. Just don't get carried away as Julio Urias and Jose De Leon are knocking on the door and both have top of the rotation potential. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, the BaseballHQ.com scouting team has reports and updates on top prospects, organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. The bottom line, if you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's time for our playing time segment, where we look at situations that could mean players getting more playing time, or possibly losing those precious at-bats or innings. In this week's edition, we'll look at the first base job in Houston, and what happens to the Giants' rotation if Matt Cain isn't ready. Here to tell you more is BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield. With much of spring training now in the rear view, it looks like a candidate has emerged in Houston for the starting first base gig, and he's Tyler White. White looks to be edging out Jonathan Singleton, who's having an awful spring, and fellow prospect A.J. Reed, at least initially. With a full-time role, White suddenly looks like an intriguing target late in drafts thanks to a solid plate approach in the minor leagues. White hit 325 last season with a 442 on base percentage across AA and AAA, with more walks than strikeouts. While power isn't quite White's strong suit, he did hit for 14 home runs across 400 at-bats last season as well. He's yet to face MLB pitching in the regular season, so there's certainly some risk, but White's plate skills mitigate that somewhat. 
Even though A.J. Reed likely won't have the everyday first base role out of camp, don't give up on him yet. Reed carries significant long-term upside, more so than White, and we ranked him as Houston's number four prospect entering the season. Reed hit 34 home runs in the minors last season, which led us to stick him at 51st overall in our HQ100 prospect list. Should Tyler White struggle in his initial exposure to MLB pitching, look for Houston to turn to A.J. Reed as the first alternative. Over to the National League, we go to San Francisco, where Matt Cain has struggled through two spring training starts. Cain has picked up his pitch counts, but the results haven't yet been there, and the team is considering making Cain's next start in a minor league game. The once-dominant Cain has dealt with elbow injuries in each of the last two years and is now four years removed from his last dominant season back in 2012. Cain's still just 31 with a long track record of better skills, but he's barely hitting 90 on the radar gun this spring. Look for Chris Heston to get significant playing time in San Francisco this season. He may even start the year in the rotation should Kane continue to struggle. Heston's rookie season, which included a no-hitter, was a great success thanks to his excellent ground ball rate, though he did struggle in the second half with a 1.6 strikeout to walk and a 4.16 expected ERA. Heston's still just 28, though, and there are several injury-prone starters in the Giants rotation, namely Kane, Jake Peavy, and even Johnny Cueto. So if Heston can regain some of that first-half form from 2015, he looks like a sneaky profit source who's going for next to nothing in preseason drafts. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Ryan Bloomfield is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has his playing time commentary here at the Baseball HQ Radio podcast every week. Now let's move to Frequent Flyers, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available late in your draft and during the season in your free agent pool, and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's Frequent Flyers, Baltimore second baseman Jonathan Scope and Arizona starting pitcher Robbie Ray. And here to tell you all about it is BaseballHQ.com analyst Alex Becky. Spring is here. It's a great time to take a walk, especially if you're the first of two 24-year-old frequent flyers we'll profile this week, beginning with someone who really needs a walk, Baltimore second baseman Jonathan Scope. Although Scope flashed above-average power in 2015, as represented by his linear-weighted power index of 138, he didn't walk much. In 321 plate appearances, Jonathan Scope walked just nine times. Nine! He had 85 hits, 32 of those were extra base hits, and nine walks. He grounded into nine double plays and had nine walks. Jonathan Scope had 17 doubles and nine walks. I think you're seeing a theme here. Last September, Scope had five home runs and three walks. That's right, he had almost twice as many home runs as he had walks. Hey, five home runs in a month isn't too bad. May Machado had five home runs in September, on his way to finishing with 35 for the year, well over twice as many as Jonathan Scope. But did you realize that May Machado also had twice as many at-bats? That's right, in 2015, May Machado's 35 home runs came in 633 at-bats. Jonathan Scope's 15 home runs came in 305 at-bats. Is that pace similar? Maybe, but it's important to remember that Jonathan Scope, like all of our frequent flyers, are long shots who may be worth a flyer if they are available in your league or perhaps late in your draft. May Machado won't be available late in your draft. He walked 70 times and batted 286. Jonathan Scope, in comparison, walked 9 times and batted 279. But here's what's important. 
Jonathan Scope's batting average on balls in play was 329 in 2015. Look out! That just screams regression. Oh yeah, one final comparison. Do we mention that Jonathan Scope struck out 79 times? That gives him a batting eye ratio of 11 when we're looking for a minimum of at least 50. He's impatient. He's risky. He has power. But Jonathan Scope walks very little and strikes out a lot. Speaking of strikeouts, more specifically, striking out a lot, Diamondbacks pitcher Robbie Ray's 8.39 DOM, or opposition strikeouts per game, through 23 starts in 2015, not only exceeds Baseball HQ's benchmark of 7 for baseball's best pitchers, but also ranked first among Arizona starters in 2015, among pitchers with at least 10 regular season starts. To put that in perspective, Houston's Dallas Keuchel had an 838 dom in 2015, and New Arizona Diamondbacks teammate Zach Greinke had an 808 dom in 2015, and both had exceptional seasons. Take a second to think about that. Robbie Ray had more strikeouts per game than Dallas Keuchel and Zach Greinke, yet look at the difference in ADP. According to BaseballHQ.com, Robbie Ray has a 364 ADP, which would put him in the 24th round of a 15-team league stake draft. On the other hand, Dallas Keuchel has an ADP of 46, or early 4th round value, and Zach Greinke has an ADP of 35, or early 3rd round value. Compare that to an ADP of 364. Of course, we know that more goes into ADP and valuations than strikeouts per game. Both Keuchel, with 20 wins, 8 losses, and a 2.48 ERA in 2015, and Greinke, with a 19-3 record and a 166 ERA in 2015, far outperformed Robbie Ray's numbers last season. However, if you're looking for value, wouldn't it make sense to take a closer look at Robbie Ray? After all, Robbie Ray's base performance value skyrocketed from 27 in 2014 to 79 in 2015, that's a 52-point jump. Plus, Robbie Ray gained 2 miles per hour on his fastball from 2014 to 2015, according to BaseballHQ.com. And the Diamondbacks have bulked up in the offseason by adding players like Zach Greinke, Shelby Miller, and Gene Segura. Could Robbie Ray, as Arizona's fifth starter, be the final piece of the Diamondbacks' rotation puzzle? Maybe. In fact, maybe you found the final pieces in your team puzzle with Jonathan Scope and Robbie Ray, our frequent flyers for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has our frequent flyers commentary here on Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for Master Notes, my weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball. And this week, I want to offer some last parting thoughts about the Tout Wars weekend. I've already described my own efforts earlier this week in a Roto Gaming article at the BaseballHQ.com website. It's a free article, and worth every penny. Now, as Tout Wars Weekend recedes into history, I wanted to share a few notes about hit-pitch splits, player values, and just some plain old oddities. First, I was very curious this year about how the splits would go hitter versus pitcher, because home league and NFBC players sometimes watch Tout and the other experts' drafts to see if there are trends they can use to play with or against. For the last few years, there's been a slow but steady movement in experts' drafts towards greater allocations towards pitching. 
The touts and other experts have come to accept that pitchers, especially the top pitchers, are no more risky than top hitters, and that it is easier to find four-category contributors among top starters than among hitters, even allowing for the capricious nature of pitcher wins. Just for your information, the splits I'm about to talk about here are based on the splitting of owner's actual spending, not hitting as a percentage of the theoretical salary maximum of $260. In the American League only league, which I play in, the overall split was 70-30, off maybe a point or two from what we've become used to. But the split 70-30 was skewed upward by one owner's extreme budget strategy. Steve Moyer of Inside Edge tried a near Labadini plan, spending $248 of his 260 salary on hitting and just $12 on pitching. That's a 95% hitter split. Take out that, and the league would have had a 68-32 split, which is actually kind of low. The low split in the league was 58% by Laura Michaels of Masters Ball, who often takes this sort of path, but six of the 12 American League touts had splits of 67% or lower. In the National League-only league, the split was 69-31, the high BaseballHQ.com's Phil Hertz at 76%, and the low defending champ Mike Gianella of Baseball Prospectus at 62%. The mixed auction league split 76-24 overall, but even here there was an interesting divide among individual teams. Four of the 15 touts in mixed were over 80% hit splits, led by Al Malkior and Scott Pianowski at 85%. At the same time, four other touts were under 70%, led by Nando DeFino at 66%. Of course, it might be none of this will affect your leagues directly, but experts' drafts do influence home leagues and NFBC drafts, and this sideways drift towards higher pitching spending should be something you're at least thinking about as you head toward your own draft table. You need to ask yourself this sort of question. If you knew that Chris Sale or Max Scherzer had the same chance of avoiding injury as, say, Andrew McCutcheon or Carlos Correa, would you adjust your split to favor pitchers? Maybe you would. Now on to player values. Within the splits, we saw an increasing swing towards a stars and scrub approach, with top players commanding ever larger bids above seeming value. Across all three leagues, seven different players went for $40 or more. Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, Paul Goldschmidt, Josh Donaldson, Clayton Kershaw, Miguel Cabrera, and Manny Machado all went for $40 or more. The American League-only league had 12 players bought between $30 and $39. The National League-only had 11 such players, and the mixed had 18. Among all three leagues, which is 39 different teams, just seven teams had entire rosters where all the players were salaried under $30. As a result of this shift, dollar days was huge. About 15% of all the players auctioned went for a buck. The American League auction had a record 46 $1 players taken, including 12 by Moyer in his extreme strategy and 10 more by former champions the Rick Wolf, glenn Colton team. The National League had 44 one-buckers, 10 of them rostered by Lenny Melnick, and of the 44 $1 players taken in the mixed league, Tim Heaney and Al Malkior had eight apiece, while Scott Pianowski didn't have any. If the Stars and Scrubs approach continues to grow, there might be opportunities to zag while all the Stars and Scrubbers are zigging. Conversely, you just might want to jump on the bandwagon, which seems to imply a willingness to do a little more homework to be sure you're ready to find the top candidates for those endgame $1 maneuvers. Part of the fun of every draft is watching for the unusual or odd stuff that just happens. This year's tout drafts had their share, which I either saw or heard about. 
For instance, there was Mike Podhorzer's lone dollar player. You see, the fact is, he didn't even want Giovanni Gallardo. He nominated Gallardo as a one dollar throwaway, but didn't get a rebid. Just crickets, and there he was with Giovanni Gallardo on his roster for a buck. Rob Lebowitz of FantasyHeaven.com said he planned to spend 75-80% to 80% of his budget on hitting, which would have been among the highest in the American League-only contest. Isn't it funny how drafts go? Rob ended up spending just 67% on hitting, in the lower half of the league. Is there an influence of the well-known stacking tactic from Daily Fantasy? It sure seemed so when you looked at Tout Wars American League. Chris Liss bought the entire Yankees bullpen for $38. In Tout National League, Derek Cardi bought the entire Dodgers rotation, paying $69. Most of it, not surprisingly, for Clayton Kershaw. Almost my whole team is made up of stacks. I have four Red Sox, four Tigers, and three East from Minnesota, Oakland, Tampa, and Texas. And I swear to you, this was not by design. At least I'll know which games to pick on XM and extra innings. As usual, the prices in mixed were a few bucks higher than in only leagues, but there were exceptions even at the high end. Giancarlo Stanton went for $39 in both mixed and the National League. Justin Upton went for $30, and Felix Hernandez went for $22 in both mixed and American League. It was also interesting seeing how aggressively some owners went after their targets. In mixed, Derek Van Riper bought three of the first nine players. He rostered Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, and Paul Goldschmidt for a total of $115. Then, I guess, he must have gone to a movie or something. In Tout National League, Andy Barron spent $106 on his top three guys, Nolan Arenado, Bryce Harper, and Madison Bumgarner. Mike Gianella mentioned earlier the defending National League tout champion spent $55 to buy four top catchers. Jonathan Lucroy, Yasmani Grandal, Derek Norris, and Miguel Montero. He put Montero into one of his two utility spots, and Norris went into a corner infield spot. Tout Wars gives position eligibility to players based on a 15-game requirement from the previous season, and Norris played 17 games at first base. Speaking of Gianella, he went the opposite of Stars and Scrubs. He didn't spend more than $18 on any player, and he had 14 in the mid-range between 11 and 19. It'll sure be interesting to see how that plays out. And finally, there was a comic note from the National League auction. When Gray Albright of Rasball came into the Sirius XM fishbowl, it's a rectangular room with glass walls, he took off his blue sweater, and underneath was an identical blue sweater. Big yucks. I met Gray at the Tout Wars gathering at Foley's Pub in Midtown, and he's very funny and a fun guy to hang around with. And really isn't that the point of it all, to have fun with your draft, to enjoy the company of the fellows that you're drafting with. And with that, we'll put Tout Wars to bed for the year, except of course to play the league. And I wish you good luck and good hunting as you go into your own drafts and auctions. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick David of BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Friday in the weekly free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, March the 25th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 12 of the 2016 Fantasy Baseball season. I want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our minor league analyst was Rob Gordon. Our playing time commentator was Ryan Bloomfield. And our frequent flyers commentator was Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt. Hope you enjoyed Master Notes this week. 
And of course, I always hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. And please send us a message on our email address, bhqradio, all one word, at gmail.com, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Tuesday with another Tuesday Tout edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.